39, The Risks God Takes, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, May 31, 1970. And the text is Acts, the ninth chapter, the tenth through the nineteenth verses. On this beautiful day and in this great worship service, we're addressing ourselves to the topic, the risks God takes, and the text for this rather odd title comes from Acts, the ninth chapter, and we begin to read at the tenth verse. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. He had a vision in which the Lord said to him, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, Get ready, and go to Straight Street, and in the house of Judas ask a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now this man is praying, and in a vision he saw a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he might see again. Ananias answered, Lord. Many people have told me about this man, about all the terrible things he has done to your people in Jerusalem, and that he has come to Damascus with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Nevertheless, go, for I have chosen him to serve me, to make my name known to Gentiles and kings and to the people of Israel. And I myself will show him all that he must suffer for my sake. So Ananias went, entered the house, and placed his hands on Saul. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me. Jesus himself, whom you saw on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he was able to see again. He stood up and was baptized. And after he had eaten, Saul's strength came back. Now when you read a passage like this, you immediately get the definite message that Ananias did not want to go to see Saul. He did not want to go because of what he knew. He had heard about this Saul of Tarsus, of how he had persecuted the people in Jerusalem who had dared to follow in faith Jesus Christ. And he also knew that this man, Saul of Tarsus, had come to Damascus with the sole idea of, of playing havoc with those people who followed Jesus and to arrest them and to take them back to Jerusalem. And Ananias did not want to go to Saul because of what he knew. But we have to notice also that he did not want to go to Saul because of what he did not know. Ananias did not want to go because he did not realize, you see, that he was a part of God's plan of risk. He did not know, how could he know? at that moment, that God had created Saul and made him a special vessel 
God had great things in store for Saul, not only to change his name to Paul, but more to be the first great leader of the whole Christian church. God knew this, but Ananias didn't know it, and Saul didn't know it. And if God was going to get this message to Saul, he would have to take a risk. He would have to take a chance. And what he was doing when he spoke to Ananias was he was taking a chance, hoping that with this risk, it would be the time when Saul would respond. But for Saul to be able to respond to the destiny for which he had been created, it was necessary, you see, that Ananias respond and be willing to take a risk, a risk that really he didn't want to take. But God was taking a risk. But Ananias didn't know it. God takes chances. And though this is very difficult and rather hard on some of our conservative nervous systems in the area of theology, it nevertheless is true. We would much rather, wouldn't we, worship a God who we believe is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and never changes his routine. Now, God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, but God does not always operate the way we would like, because the sun always seems to be in the sky in the morning, and day always follows night. And it's never been any other way than that. We, we sometimes get in the rut to think that we know how God's going to operate, and we don't. We sometimes like God to be safe and secure, and we want to put him upon some shelf of belief and think that that's the only way God can operate. God can operate any way that he wants, at any time, in any place, in any way. And one of the things that we must never forget is that God takes chances. God takes risks. He has to. He has no other choice. You see, when God first created the first man, he put himself for the first time in a risky business. When God voluntarily, deliberately, knowingly created man in his own image, in other words, gave unto man some godly powers, he ran a risk not knowing for sure whether or not man would become like God, as was his hope. When God gave to man a mind, he gave it with the hope that the man would think upon godly things, but when he did that, he ran the risk that man may begin to think and concentrate on those things that are not so holy. When God gave to man a will and freedom, he gave it to him with the hope that man would willingly and lovingly respond to, to his love. But he gave this with the risk that perhaps man would not respond to God's will and instead would substitute God with some lesser type of God. When, when God gave to man talents, he gave it to him with the hope that using the talents under the direction of God and according to God's plan, that individual would find his fulfillment and his destiny 
and know why it was that God placed him on the earth in the first place. But he did so with the risk, knowing that God or man could take those particular talents and turn them into something else, and they had the power to use that talent for evil as well as for good. So you see, God, when he made man, he took a risk. And every time God is working in our lives, he's taking a risk, not knowing for sure whether or not we will respond, hoping that we will, but nevertheless he's willing to run the risk, even if we don't. And this is what was happening, you see, that day. This was one of those moments when God was taking a risk, the risk of a acquainting Saul with the reason for which he had been created to give him the message of what kind of a chosen vessel he was, of what his job and his destiny would be here on earth. But he did so taking a risk, not knowing whether or not Saul would respond. We don't know how many times you see God before had risked to inform Saul, and Saul had forgotten or had not listened. We don't know how many times he did that before, but we know at this particular time he was using Ananias to be a part of the risk that he was taking in Saul's life. Now, that's the first thing that we ought to know about the risks that God takes, namely that he has to take them. He, he has no other choice. Voluntarily, he... He has limited himself, and he knows that if he's going to get his message through to any instrument, any special channel which he has created, be it a person, be it his church, be it a nation which he has fashioned, be it any instrument, he runs the risk when he tries to inform that instrument of its destiny here on earth. He has no other choice. And Ananias, you see, was involved in this risk, and he didn't know it. And this is the second thing that you must remember about God's risks. It's namely that we can be involved in them and not even know it. That's one of the things that you want to remember when you read your morning newspapers and watch your telecasts and listen to your radios in these days of confusion and unrest. Oftentimes, when many thing, things are happening in your life, or in the life of a church, or in the life of a nation, sometimes it's God taking a risk on that particular channel, or instrument, or vessel that he has chosen. Not always, perhaps, but sometimes it is. Because, you see, when we who feel that we are called by God to be a special people, Sometimes God's working in our lives. He's taking a risk with us, and we don't know it. Ananias did not know it. But that does not detract from the fact that God was using him in his plan of risk. So you see, we have to be just the least bit careful when we begin to condemn, because we might misjudge. God might be risking something, and we may misunderstand it, and we might miss 
the risk. You see, God has always had trouble down through history of getting people to believe in him in spite of the fact that they sometimes think his wisdom and his will is not right nor safe. I wonder how many people were standing there in Egypt, shaking their heads, thinking that God had made a mistake when he chose Moses, that fugitive murderer, to lead his people out of the land and up the mountain. But God knew Moses. He had made him. He knew what he could do and what he couldn't do, and God was willing to take a risk, a chance, with Moses. And we know over a million people left that exodus, but I wonder how many people remained back in Egypt simply because they thought God had made a mistake. And he was asking them to follow a risk that did not look anywhere near safe. But God risked his future and the future of his people with Moses. And the result was, even though it took them 40 years, they got to the promised land. I'm sure many of people who were trying to help Jesus to run his program thought that he had made a big mistake when he had elected as his group of believers and the people to follow him, fishermen tax collectors, people who were not really known in Jerusalem or in Palestine in those days. But Jesus knew them, and he was willing to take a risk with them, and he risked with them the future of his gospel, the proclamation of his kingdom. He gave them his trust and his faith. He was willing to run a risk. And it paid off, and those individuals formed themselves into a community which was called the church. And we, 2,000 years later, are an extenuation of that particular fellowship, which they were able to organize because God took a risk. You see, many times God is taking his risk in your life, my life, in the life of this church, in the life of the national church, in the life of America. Sometimes we don't believe it, and we mistake his action. Ananias couldn't agree with God. Ananias didn't like the risk that God was taking, but he believed God. And he did what God told him to do. And as a result, Saul was born into Paul, and a man who had been blind now could see. And the world got the greatest figure in Christianity beside Jesus Christ himself. Because God was taking a risk, and because another man, even though he could not understand, nor did he like what he saw, he believed God. God must take risks. He has no other choice in the life of man. But sometimes when God takes a chance... It's not easily recognizable to those even with whom he is risking his future. But God still takes chances. And you know why? Because he believes in people. You know, I I think that's the most reassuring thing I know in the whole Christian faith. No matter what I think of God, there's one thing that I can be sure of. 
God believes in me. You realize the impact of that idea? No matter what I have done, no matter what I believe about God, God still believes in me and he trusts me. God loves us. And he gives to us in his love the greatest gift that love can give. It's trust. You see, God believed in Saul. Oh, he was not thrilled or pleased, you can be sure, with what Saul had done in the past. But he still believed in him. He knew what was in Saul, in his character, in his mind, in his heart, and in his will. Why shouldn't he know? After all, he put it there when he created Saul. And he believed in Saul. And he believed that if given enough time, if given enough patience, if given enough love, if given enough information, someday, somewhere, his risk would pay off. And the trust that he put in Saul would someday waken Saul up to his destiny. And sure enough, he might have been 30, 40, 50 years old. We don't know exactly how. One day while walking down the Damascus Turnpike, when he was feeling horrible, when we know from the scripture he was a mixed-up schizophrenia, God came. God knocked him to his feet. And for the first time, Saul was able to say, Lord, help me. I am thine, O Lord. Help me. All because God believed in Saul. Now, that's something that we should learn about from the risks that God takes. Maybe one of the reasons we're having trouble in the world is that we just don't trust one another enough. God trusts us. And it's surprising that what can happen when we trust one another. In the mid-30s, a, a young boy was born to a very influential and rich family. They, they lived in St. Louis. And God had blessed this young boy. He gave him great abilities. He was a gifted musician. He was a great horseman, a lover of sports cars, a brilliant student, but an undisciplined one. And after graduating from high school, he went to the University of St. Louis Medical School, and there, though, his academic record was superb. The faculty of that great med school voted to discipline this young boy for failure to show the, the feeling of dependability which is so necessary in not only the medical but all other professions. At that time, the dean of the med school was Melvin Cosberg, a son, by the way, of missionaries in India. He knew this boy, and he believed not only in God, but he believed also in God's people. And he went before the med school faculty, and he pleaded with them to allow this boy to be under his jurisdiction. The faculty granted permission, and this man believed not only in this young student, but worked with him to help him to overcome that deficiency in his life. And soon he graduated. This was followed with internship, then in the armed service. 
And on July 14th in 1954, this young man received his temporary orders as an army doctor to go to Vietnam and to help in the evacuation of the French and the Vietnamese from Haiphong. And there it was, maybe for the first time, but I really think probably for the umpteenth time, God spoke to that young heart. And he did so through the suffering and the human need that he saw in, in that terrible, horrible area. And this man responded, and he made up his mind he was going to become a medical missionary. And this he did. And this was the thing for which God had chosen him at birth. And this man gave his life and gave his all. He founded Medico. And even though this young individual was the greatest Roman Catholic missionary doctor perhaps in the 20th century, this man who died at 34 years of age to show unto us not that life is measured by the number of years it lives, but rather by its accomplishments in the years that it does live, this young man was able to show to us what God can do when not only he runs a risk in an individual's life, but when that individual answers the risk which God takes. Tom Dooley is the boy. And one of the greatest inspirations that we will have in this 20th century of what God will do with a man when he runs a risk on that man's life and when that risk is answered. Because this is one of the things that I have to tell you about the risks of God that I don't enjoy mentioning. It is namely that when God runs a risk and the response does not come from people, God is not the loser, we are. You see, God is God and henceforth he never runs out of time and he never runs out of risks and he never runs out of plans, but because we are humans. We have only a temporary time on this earth. We do run out of time, and we run out of opportunities to respond. And when we fail to respond, God doesn't lose out. We do. God merely takes another risk with another individual. That's history. And it's one of the terrible truths of history, but it is one which we must face, especially those of us who feel we are chosen instruments of God's message and God's future. Take Saul. Here was a man that God chose, and he had great plans, and he took great risks for King Saul, who is the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. But because King Saul refused to respond, God was not thwarted. All he did was began to take risks with the young David. And Saul was an individual who was cast upon that broken pile of discarded pottery and vessels which are there because they have not been fulfilled. Do you think what would have happened if Saul had refused to listen to Ananias? Do you think God would have been thwarted of bringing his kingdom into this earth if Ananias had not gone to Saul or Saul had said, Get out of here, I don't want to listen to you? No. If Ananias hadn't done his job, God would have raised up someone else. 
If Saul had not done his particular task and responded, God would have taken a risk with another person to bring forth his kingdom. You see, this is what happens when we fail to respond. God does not run out of risks. He merely calls upon someone else to bring forth the plan that he had for us. So what I'm trying to say in a nutshell about the risks God takes is that they pay off. They come to fruition. They do what God intended them to do when he first took them, only when we respond. And if we do not meet God's risk with a similar risk in response, then not only does God's risk fail, but we fail to find the reason for which we were created. Jesus says it best. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to risk your life,